Hi there, my little seashells. Welcome to episode 14 of Whippets and Flat Caps on a week where Kim Jong-un hugged his South Korean counterpart in a warm embrace, having essentially been at war for decades. And we saw a snooker player shoulder barge his opponent at the World Championship. How have I missed that? that is the How have I missed that? How have you missed that? That is incredible. Well, one guess who it was. Sean Murphy. The snooker player is Rock. most likely to shoulder bars. Rocket. Was it a good show? Against Ali Carter. It was a bit it wasn't it wasn't kind of PKB Derby. Was it, was it gamesmanship or was it cheating? It was, <laughs> it was using it was bending the rules. It was just Ronnie against Ali Carter and it was bizarre. But I think what a great time. thing though. Why not in some sports that are not traditionally associated with violent behaviour? I, I think, why not make it more? I think you should be allowed to distract people in snooker and darts. So what would it be if you can use a distraction card once every game, yeah. you can do whatever you want Ball for one minute. Down while they're taking a shot. Exactly. You've got one minute to do whatever you want, you know, to that person or yeah. even Stick whilst... Stick up his ass. Yeah, yeah, again, that again, all, op- in, all in options, all options, or you know, like yeah, maybe no, if uh, playing playing darts, maybe in the darts. Imagine in the world darts like championships. If you could just, you've got an opportunity. Phil Taylor, who's retired, but just going for bullseye to win the game. Yeah, he just just whispers something very soft, softly into his ear, or, or just just tie shoelaces together as he goes to collect his darts, <laughs> and watch him tumble. I don't know why we started with that, but that I've got a little story about the snooker. So when two thousand and I think it was two thousand five. Remember Sean Murphy? I yes. do. Yeah. yeah, I did question of sport with Sean Murphy. One of the Biggest top ten weirdest humans I've ever met. Well, he could be listening. So let, what? Go on. Why? Uh, just he, you know, we talked about emotional intelligence. He He's a clever lad, isn't he? He, 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 he? Well, that's intelligence, not emotional intelligence. Right, okay. He was just bizarre. I just had no nothing to contribute at all. Oh, very harsh. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. If you no. got nothing. To... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I've, I've done might it have 13 a... and a half shows. He so. might have had a bad day. <laughs> bad day at the office. Yeah. Um, 2005, I remember I, I was at uni and we were watching the World Snooker Championship on the telly. We, we might not have been to bed for a couple of days and we just thought, do you know what? We're going to go to the World Snooker Championship final. I've got a bit of a massive snooker fan, and just, who's we? Just me and mate, a guy called Nolsey Scalser. good lad. And his girlfriend. He's a good lad. Like, so it was three of us. I was kind of um, third reel go- in it. Yeah, um, and we, we didn't even have tickets, obviously, and hadn't been to bed. Just stuck a tracksuit on, got on the train to Sheffield, and stood outside the Crucible Theatre, which is a str- have you ever been to the Crucible Theatre? Mm. No. Yeah, no, you said, no. no. To watch snooker in a theatre is very, very strange in itself. But we stood outside, and it was Matthew Stevens who was playing him in the final. And we thought, well, we're never going to get tickets for this. Anyway, Matthew Stevens just walks past us, and we went, Matthew, any chance you got any tickets for the final? He just went, yeah, there you are. He <laughs> 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 just gave me and my two mates three tickets for the final. Everyone was wearing dinner jackets, black tie. You're I was wearing a Manchester City tracksuit. Uh, so we've got somebody must have footage of this that you in the in the crowd there's it must a, there be there's a picture on the back of the Daily Mail I've got a picture <laughs> genuinely my mum messaged me the next day and you're on the back page of the Daily Mail Sean Murphy was lifting up the trophy Weird. and there, there yeah. I was and we were kind of in there you know very badly <laughs> behaved I hadn't really been to sleep have you not been to sleep you didn't mention that I don't know no. uh, it seemed like complex it, fellows the snooker players to me mm. Was it was it good? Did you enjoy it? It was amazing. Did was you amazing. see anybody uh, take uh, the tight brown or an easy pink? <coughs> uh, well, now you mention that at the after party, I might have done because we, <laughs> we we not only went from 
the World Championship final. We then managed to blag our way into the after party, which was at, I think it was at the Marriott in Sheffield. Really nice, <laughs> classic four star. And uh, and then we would. I just remember being in this kind of smoking room with Stephen Hendry telling stories about Dennis Taylor. Again, still sat there in my Manchester City tracksuit. Everyone else dressed up. Not been to sleep. Not been to sleep. <laughs> and. Um, I did eventually go to sleep did you? with my good. face in a pint and I was woke up by Hazel Irvin at about This is such a good story. Yeah. How did we not... We should have... worked at the BBC. On, so. on the notes for this show, it should be just a little debrief of Will. <laughs> Maybe a strange story. A strange Will story. But that, I don't know why we went down that route, but there we go. That's that's uh, the mention of Ronnie O'Sullivan, mm. shoulder barging Andy Carter. Um, what should we talk about? Oh, by the way, download the, the podcast from iTunes. Podbean podcast provider give us a, a, a nice little review while you're at it we'd love to know what you've been up to tweet us as well text us mm-hmm. any questions we've been doing that weekly on a weekly basis at Whippets RL um, PKD PKB Derby was was close wasn't it it's good yeah Na- Nat mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we, should we address the elephant in the room yeah, well, yeah, we spanked Salford, and Saints are good. Salford is shit. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a great night for Salford. Um, but John, you did message me straight well. away saying, um, "I don't want to talk about the game." No, I just didn't want. I knew what you do. You try and get me in Flash to like. You're trying to get a rise out of me or Flash with it, and I knew where you'd go with it. So what I wanted to do is say, "Let's talk about it," but let's not overdo it. Well, Saints were very good on the night. We were we were very poor. Um, yeah, Saints were magnanimous in def- in victory. Yeah, how hard um, are they to play against? Because they were very 100, good. 126 points in two games. Very good yeah. side. Um, in the second half, towards the end, I remember taking the ball and John tackled me and kind of whispered in my ear very empathetically, "Just keep going, mate." Uh, <laughs> you did, and I thought, "Cheers, mate." Yeah, it kind right, of so right, it, we've all than a, a headbutt back. No, we've all been in that position where nothing's going your way, and, yeah. and Saints were on fire, and it was just one of those. One of those games and one of those nights, and um, yeah, they're, they're they're red hot at the minute. Um, they were they cut us to ribbons all over the park through the middle out wide. And I was saying to John earlier um, when we lined up um, two teams against each other before the start of the match, and I, I, I noticed straight away that Saints didn't seem to be a big side. Um, and I said there'd probably be only be a couple of players over 100 kilos in their starting team, and uh, we kind of thought discussed how. The, the shape and 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 of of players these days and teams is different from what it was ten fifteen years ago. Yeah, I think there was there was an era in rugby league, and I think Bradford Bulls were probably the the epitome of this, were, who believed that size was always best. And I think the Bradford Bulls of two thousand one, two, three, mm-hmm. four. You know, they had big big men, and they they were uh, sort of obsessed with size, and it became a bit of a a trend in rugby league that size was important. That si- that that you know, your forwards all had to be 110 kilos. Which and obviously in, in Union it is, isn't it? It's a yeah. massive importance, but is it, is it not? No, well, I think of what Flash is really smart to, 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 to spot is with St. Helens, I think one thing we have at the moment is speed, uh, myself excluded, obviously. <laughs> you look so <laughs> quick, don't you? Yeah, I think I look like I'm running a lot quicker than I am, right, but I'm not actually... It's no. a bit, it'd be a medium-paced bowler. Yeah. yeah. But, the, but do you mean a medium Medium yeah, pace. Medium pace. Yeah, you're not. You're not. A, you know, yeah. you're not going to rip you're through people like uh, no. the Curly Ambrose. No, no, but they they were quick at running in. The medium pace bowler could still have be quick. But the the product was never quick. 
There you go. Well, that's it. Yeah, we agree on that. No, so, so is is this a silly question? Do why do you need big players? Well, big big league? players in rugby league. It's a physical game, isn't it? So, is uh, it though? It, yeah. Still? Well, the physics of it are quite simple. If you're big and yeah. heavy and strong, you carry more force into tackles. Therefore, it makes you more difficult to to tackle. It also makes you be able to hit with more force in terms of gaining ground. But I yeah. mean, but then what would be the difference? But then you strength it up and you have thirteen you, players who are just quick, great hands and, and well, rapid. this is this is the thing actually. What Mark probably spotted is I think at Saints we're, we're not big, especially when you take Alex Wormsley out of our mm. team. We're not a big side. Um, Amos pretty big, isn't he? Yeah, he, he's not tall. He's not. Like, if you look at Salford at the weekend, you had Lamatazi, big man, yeah. Craig Kopchak, big man, Luke Burgess, Mossop. big man, Flash is 6'2, six, 6'3. Six, Is he? Yeah, Mossop, big man. Yeah, all our front rowers will be heavier and six taller. foot two, six three. bigger than their starting front row, starting pack. Yeah. But, but yeah. they, they had good leg speed, they had good footwork before the line, so they were getting quick to play the balls and they were gaining momentum and speed by by footwork and agility and and that acceleration into contact. Luke Thompson for them was outstanding. I think he's been probably the form front rower in the compo year. And I spoke to John, I said, how much does he weigh? He weighs about 98 kilos, but it feels like it's 110 when he's running at you because he's so quick over such a short distance. And and, and he's, re he's really strong for, for not much body weight. Yeah, he? and I think size, when you have it, you have to be really efficient with how you play so for example Salford who maybe made a few mistakes in the backfield they had a few of their outside backs cough the ball up on player one size then becomes a problem for you because if you don't retain possession and you're doing a lot of defending bigger men who are not as good moving laterally the game can become uh, difficult and, and, and you can burn up the juice really really quickly and I think speed is, is more important than size I think being quick or having not not necessarily being lightning fast, but for me one of the biggest and, and most important assets that any professional rugby league player can have is the leg speed. So what what I mean by that is is not speed of uh, you know your, your kilometers per hour what you can reach, but your ability to change direction quickly or your ability to drive your legs quickly to get going, and and that acceleration in short short spaces. And the ability to be agile is a real strength of our team at, at the moment, and that's by design. I think you know if you look at the recruitment and players like Tommy Makinson, we've got Ben Barber, who's just simply world class. <laughs> but their agility and leg speed is, is is exceptional. And on the flip side to that, you know, Salford are a bigger team than us, but if you don't get it right and the game becomes quick, that's a weakness. Uh, and I always remember back to 2010, we had such a small side. Um, you know our our pack was all ninety odd kilos. We 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 weren't particularly great, but we got to the grand final that year and with a really young, inexperienced pack uh, and a small pack, and we did that purely off legs off leg speed, being fitter than other teams. And Move, I think moving the ball as well, moving the ball around, and having a skillful side that that can move and 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 play for a full eighty minutes rather than just having big guys in short spurts doing. A couple but of big carries. The, that's the key, isn't it? If you're yeah. going to be smaller, you've got to be that much more skillful. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. But well, yeah. I think again that your strength can be a weakness, and if you're too small and you're not, you know, that 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 in itself is a weakness. You probably get targeted more. Defenses will, 
you know, when you when you get the ball and you're looking across the defensive line, you've got to pick somebody out. You're playing against Hull, you run at Danny Houghton. He's the smallest of a big bunch, you know. So you end up having to do more work. Um, but, this, you know, size, the obsession with size in rugby league, I think, has had its day. I think it, it's a trend of the past. And sort of big, numb, northern men lifting weights just to get big, you know, filling the shirt and, and, and all of that. I just think it's such a, a dated approach to the, the conditioning so required. So are those battering ram type players being driven out of the game then? Will they eventually I don't be... think you can be purely be an impact player in, in rugby league anymore. Well, I think you can, but I think it's less less frequent. Alex Worms is that, isn't it? Yeah, but he's, Alex is that, but he's quick. He's a big man and he's yeah. lightning quick. So that's... He's I, got I, hands I, like Cal's tits, don't he? <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's, like, <laughs> sometimes well, he tries imagine to if play he did, and that. he's tried to play and Put through somebody through a hole or pass, and you're just like Alex, no, that sounds stop it. A lot like a question just, we might have from Steve Woods three seven six one seven two on Twitter. <laughs> Would you rather have hands like cows' tits or tits like <laughs> cows' hands? <laughs> it's funny you say that because we 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 haven't we've gotten to a, a routine of not mentioning the winners, but Mark, the winner from last week, we've decided well, to Well, you go. two have decided is... Well, you uh, didn't answer the question. Did I didn't you? answer I think it. Daniel Caulfield. Could you read the question? Repeat the question, Chief. Um, it's very incestuous, as you'd know if you listened last week. Would you rather watch your mum and dad have sex every day for the rest of your life... Terry and Sue. ...or join in once and never have to watch it again? Um, and what was your answer? You didn't answer. I didn't answer because... Why? It's not going to happen, Mark. I know it's not going to happen. It's hypothetical. Yeah. So there's no way you can't offend your parents with this. I'm not answering it. Let's just delve into it's Mark's like, I'm not going to swear on my mother's life. With, I'm not going to swear on it. Well, she's not going to actually die. But I'm not going to swear on my mother. I don't do that. No. I'm not going to swear on my mother. That means you're lying then, doesn't it? Yeah. But anyway, Daniel Coleman. <laughs> great, great, great question. Get to Rigi Ask Nick Bianchi of Rigi is the same question. So yes. he says. Yeah. And do you know what? People have got into actually a routine now of just sticking pictures on. Uh, Mark Hogan. It was last week's, uh, two weeks winner, two weeks ago's winner. So I can't speak today. Um, Mark says, thanks so much for the meal. It was absolutely amazing. Currently in a food coma and sat in the passenger seat home after a bottle of red as well and putting the pictures on. I think Thankfully in the passenger seat because yeah. we, we wouldn't condone drinking a bottle of Chianti and then driving no. home. Well done. No, I think the, the new rules Mark are Logan. when you win, if you win, when you go to Riggy Bank, you have to buy just one item. It could be a sofa worth £3,000 <laughs> it could be something a key yeah, ring a stick key of ring. rock you've got to buy something tweet us a picture of it Nick, yeah Nick Nick Bianchi's um, a fantastic man but um, I will say this I went in to buy just, just in fact I went in just to see him one day and he uh, convinced me to buy a wine rack um, <laughs> I came out of there with a wine rack that was, I think it was £440, and he gave me friends and family discount, and I got it for £420. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most unbelievable sales. I was trying to stuff this wine rack into my car, and I was thinking, how did this happen? It's, it's not the same wine rack that he gave you for your wedding present. Mike. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's similar, Mike. actually, I think. Yeah, similar. Mike Flanagan. Is it? Ma- Matt Flanagan, isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah. um, uh, another question that popped up last week, uh, which we probably need to resolve. The... The bench at PKB went missing. Has Still it, not been found. Still missing. Uh, anybody in the Great Manchester area seen a wooden bench with red legs? It's two people on. Uh, it's probably ours. We'd like it back. I and mean, you were probably at first like, Haha, yeah, it's going to turn up tomorrow, but it hasn't. No, no, right I was. Now. That's I been was ten days fuming. Missing. Well, the thing with Mark is Mark's got, he's got 
a temper, but he controls it very well. He's, he's, by no means is he ag- aggressive outwardly. He wouldn't know, but it ferments under the surface. Mm. And I was driving. I, I pulled my car down <laughs> behind PKB. There's an alley, and I will just chuck my car down there at times. And I could see from the end of the alley, it's about 400 metres long, I could see Flash stomping up and down the alley, trying to find Searching. the person who stole the bench. Oh, not the bench, he's trying to find no, the person. No, he's trying to, he wanted to find the person. I'd prefer to find the person than the bench, just so I could <laughs> get retribution. Also, what would retribution person, of bench... You'd get, you'd get to the bench, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, well, yeah. What is retribution for bench theft? Yeah. What, in your mind, is the appropriate <clears throat> recourse for bench theft? Death. 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 Like, I wouldn't like to say in case I do find this person and then... They're found in a ditch somewhere. You do get, I, mean, you, I reckon the person who's got the bench should call Flash out. Yeah. Let's take a picture of the bench. If you've stolen the bench, good on you. Let's see a picture of that bench and yeah. let's next yeah, let's week have a try and we'll find meet it. down some alley somewhere we'll in Manchester. meet down the and, same alleyway that yeah. looking illegally parks in. If yeah. if, perhaps if you're a parking warden as Just, well, you might like to go down there and put a ticket. Well, I've got a thing with parking wardens. I park there illegally. and Look, I know it's wrong. I get tickets. So I know that's wrong. But we've got to a situation now where the parking attendant behind Pot Kettle Black feels the need to tell me, and it's the same parking attendant, that you can't park here, mate. And I was like, I know. You put tickets. I know. You keep putting tickets on my car. So then he, he sort of tries to give me a lecture about I'm not allowed to park there. I'm like, mate, just put a ticket on my car. So what are the rules? If he sticks a ticket on, you can just keep it there for another six. You've got the ticket already, haven't you? So yeah, but it costs £20 to park in Manchester City Centre. It's cheaper to get a ticket. A parking fine is 25 quid. So sometimes I just roll the dice. Because I'm crazy like that. Mad. Mad man. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. They threatened to tow it away a couple of times. I did get the red one where they said, well, you know, you've parked here a bit too often. Now, I thought it was only because I parked across HSBC's uh, fire exit. So if there had have been a fire in HSBC, the staff would have perished and it would have been uh, my Land Rover's fault. I said, I think that is that brings it to, to question, you know, what are the rules with parking? What are the rules? How long can you leave it there with a ticket? On? I don't know. I think eventually, <laughs> don't they just keep chopping tickets on it? I think if you leave your car somewhere for an extended period of time, you're going to get clamped. You're going to get clamped, yeah. yeah. So, our special guest this week on episode 14, a man who has seen it all, he's got all the t-shirts, he's won it all, he's a former Man of Steel, he was a half-back partner to Mark Flanagan in the uh, grand final. I just can't believe that in the introduction. I told you not to mention that. (laughs) You forced me to. (laughs) It's the one and only Paul Wellens. Hi, Paul. Can't have a always, always, you all right? Yeah, Yeah, good, thanks. Good, mate, good. Paul, we're talking this week about, um, about... Coaches and the transition into coaching, which is obviously something you've done from being such a great player, going yeah. going into coaching alongside well Kieran and of course now Justin. What 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 is yeah. that transition like? We, you know, when we look at the, the sort of football comparisons, Arsene Wenger having been you know at Arsenal for twenty two years and and moving on, and and people saying perhaps he's he's got stale and his techniques have got stale, and then on the other mm-hmm. scale, um, someone like Steven Gerrard who, who's going into management having been such. A fantastic player. What what in your in your head makes yeah. a great coach? Uh, yeah, when I say this, I probably talk more from experience and from my playing experience and working with good coaches. Uh, uh, but I think essentially it's creating an environment in in, in which everybody feels valued. Uh, I think that's really important. Uh, a lot of people think, particularly you know, if you've come from you know playing straight into coaching, you can get. Conf- 
fused with the detail of what goes on on the field. And largely, I think 90% of coaching is actually what goes on off the field and kind of building relationships with your players, with your staff. Uh, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, I think is vitally important and, and that helps what goes on on the field. Is it a strange transition for you to make, though, having been, you know, a lot of those Saints guys you, you've been in the dressing room with and now you're on the other side? Is it seen as, oh, you're on the other side now? I mean, it can be it can be a little strange. I mean, I mean, what what I found more strange was kind of having to kind of reinvent reinvent myself and, and start again. Kind of a lot of the strengths that I had as a player being quite single minded and uh, you know focusing on what I need to do actually don't cross over into coaching quite well. You have to have a you know a much more selfless approach to coaching and and put yourself put yourself last to, for the want of a better word and uh, you know that's, that's the difficulty I found and over the last few years I've had a real kind of in-depth look at myself and, and how I you know can better myself to, be, to become a good coach what, what do you think Paul the, the, the pitfalls are for, for great players look, in terms of rugby league achievements there's probably nobody achieved more than more than you in the game uh, what's the pitfalls for really great players coming out of the game and going into coaching and is there anything that you've learned in this and you're still very young in coaching terms is there anything that you've learned in this this the, the transition well I think you know what, what's important and, and what I try and take with me all the time is that you know when you've been a successful player and uh, you can you, you often see the game differently to a lot of other players particularly young players who are finding feet in the game still working things out so it's probably how best to communicate and get your point across of what, what, what you want them to do or how you want them to see things without assuming that they see the game like you do because you know when you've played at the very, very top and, you, and, and you've been successful, uh, quite naturally you would, you would see things a little easier and a little better than more. So it's about kind of how, we, how to apply that to, to, to get your message across to players who don't see it the same way. And who excites you in, in the world of coaching? Paul, obviously it's topical at the moment with Arsene Wenger, you know, has, has been at Arsenal for, for forever and moved on. You know, there's a lot said about Alex Ferguson, his time at United. I mean, what coaches around the world do you, do you look up to and do you, do you aspire to, to be like? You're, you're, you're going to probably say typical of me here, having said that, because you know I'm a Manchester City fan, but uh, I love listening and watching Pep. Guardiola, you know, oh, he talks about pathetic, coaching and how he does about his business. Uh, that that comes no surprise to you, but no. you know it intrigues me how someone who's been so successful can continuously, you know, finds this drive and, and this passion for what he does. Uh, I think he genuinely loves what he does, and I think that's really important when you go into coaching. It's not something that you can just dip your dip your toe in the water with. You have to have a passion for it, which, which he clearly does. Uh, you you know he wants to be successful. That drives him on day in day out. Uh, and a lot of other things around Pep Guardiola as well, such as recruitment. Like he, he quite clearly has a philosophy on how he wants the game to be played. Uh, that's something that excites me when I go and watch the team play. Is that you know that team's going to play an attacking band of football we want to win. But not only does he know that, he can then base his recruitment decisions around that. So when he's going into the world of football, looking on place to sign, he wants a certain type of player who fits his philosophy. And it kind of makes everything seem you know that a lot, a lot simpler. Uh, and I know you're saying but Bias being a Manchester City fan but I think this season the evidence is there for all to see yeah. what's your philosophy then Paul you mentioned or you talk a lot about coaching philosophy and, and Guardiola clearly has a, a strong philosophy that, that ripples through the club what's your coaching philosophy what would that be well it's, it's something uh, over the you know 
over the past few years, I've been on a, a, a coaching course through UK Sport and Aspire Coaching Programme, which uh, is purely about coaching. It has nothing to do with rugby league whatsoever. And as part of that, on that course, it was about building a coaching philosophy or kind of looking into what a coaching philosophy looks like for you. So it's something that's still very much a work in progress. Uh, you know, but one thing that I always take with me now, one thing that will stick with me throughout my coaching career is... is not forgetting the person who's in front of you. You know, quite often, you know, with, with athletes or rugby players, footballers, whoever it may be, uh, you, you can get bogged down in uh, thinking about results all the time. That you can actually forget there's, there's a person there who, you know, he has a, an, another life and he might have a wife, wife, children, other things that's going on. So part of my coaching philosophy is to always, you know, to, to remember that there's a person there uh, and put that person foremost and then... Uh, the, the other side of my coaching philosophy really like I said is it's a work in progress it's something that you know continues to adapt day by day and uh, working with uh, Justin Norbert now at St. Helens has been you know a real real learning curve for me over the past 12 months and uh, you know, I can take many great things from what he does as well I remember speaking to you about um, coaching a few years ago well uh, before you went into the, the backroom staff and you were really <clears throat> conscious of uh, the concept of emotional intelligence as a coach and understanding your players yeah. and it sounds like you've probably taken um, those philosophies and understanding your players and, and their needs and and really and really embracing it into 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 what you do day to day. Yeah, it, it's obviously you mentioned emotional intelligence, uh, and, and on that course I've been on, it was you know a, a real fundamental part of the course. And you know, again, emotional intelligence is more about understanding yourself, isn't it? Understanding not only what you do well, but more importantly, you know what you perhaps don't do well. Whether you, you know you're communicating maybe a different way, you know, being self-aware of, of your behaviours, how that impacts on others, and you know, amongst numerous numerous other things as well. Uh, and, and and again, with all these things, you're not really touching on the detail that you know goes on to. Uh, what goes on out on the field on a on a Friday night or a Sunday afternoon? It, it's about you know the environment and and, and kind of the, the culture. You know that work gets thrown off a lot. And uh, I listened to your podcast a few weeks ago with Damien News and how he spoke about culture and you know, that's a word that's used a lot. But creating that culture is vitally important for all people. Like I said at the beginning, to to feel valued within it. And and have you been to any other clubs or sporting organisations to to learn how it's done uh, in different environments? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, no, I've, uh, I've been to a, a few. I uh, I went to Sales Yards. Uh, and that was a couple of years ago now. So when Brian Redpath was in the coach, I was still playing at the time, but uh, just to kind of get a feel of what was on. Uh, you know, I, I do think it, it's important that you, you you know you're constantly looking for ways to kind of better yourself and and better the environment you're in. And quite often, uh, you know. Other organisations have great things going on that perhaps you've not even thought about. Uh, I know a number of our staff members at St. Helens in the off-season went over to America. Our strength and conditioning coach, Matt Daniels, physio and Nathan Mill, and obviously head coach Justin Albrook spent uh, a couple of weeks over in America going to the Seattle Seahawks and the Sounders and different teams like that and brought so many great things back, so many simple things that, that you know we use on a day-to-day basis now. Yeah, one of those things actually really quite interesting I find is the use of music in training. Now James Haskell referenced, didn't he, when we spoke to him about how important music is as, as a tool. He used it as a training well, tool. Well, he used to play sad songs after a heavy defeat. Yeah, sense, that's, that's Just a to bring all the players that's, down yet that's, further. That's a slightly different melancholy sort of uh, <laughs> reference, Mark. But yeah, uh, we now train with a ghetto blaster. From the eighties. Well, it's a big boombox thing. Does someone carry it on as the loud as possible on the side of the pitch, and plays loud rap 
you know, stuff you love, Will, like yeah. the gangster rap, really, yeah. you know, yeah. naughty sort of stuff. Well, we train to that now. And it's, it's, it, I find it brilliant because when you're training, it creates an atmosphere and an, an, an energy. And James Haskell said his back row beats, this musical thing, yeah. was a way to stimulate him to train well or to, you know, produce a physical response from the music. Well, am I right, Paul, that that was from Seattle Seahawks, was it? Create that sort of intensity at training. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that, that's where it came from, and I've seen the, you know, the, the video of them training, where the, you know the music, the music on the sideline, there's a real like vibrant atmosphere around what they're doing. It's something that, we're, or like, like you mentioned, John, that we try to recreate. But I think it is very evident in in, in the behaviour of the players. You see them on the training field, and once that music kicks into gear for some reason, everyone gets a spring in the step and they start to throw the ball around, get moving, and it just kind of you know promotes a positive reaction and. Uh, your, your, also, there's the kind of lighter hearty side to it as well. Yeah, I was going to say your playlist, Paul. Though, what 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 would that be? You have to you oh, have that, to that, put that, your. That, I don't think, I don't think Neil Diamond gets people moving, does it? As well, <laughs> well so. I was I was in uh, the car journey that's, that's... With, with Paul out for three and a half hours. We drove up to Workington. Uh, we did a great a fundraiser for for Workington Town Rugby. Mega passionate about rugby league up there, so it was a privilege really to go and speak at this uh, dinner. But I was. Uh, Three and a half hours worth of what? What? What was specifically on the playlist, Paul? Uh, well, it was it was Neil Diamond. It was a Neil Diamond greatest, greatest hit. Just Neil Diamond. Just Neil Diamond. Oh. Three and a half hours. Yeah. It was his in, entire musical anthology. We listened to all these B sides. Yeah, yeah, that many classics, though. You can cover the you can cover the gem. <laughs> <laughs> because you two are so close, Paul and John, and still working together. Is that is that weird for you? Having to uh, is there ever a time where you look at each other and you think I can't really take you seriously because I know you that well? <laughs> yeah, I don't think. I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I am very familiar with, with obviously John and a lot of the players. <laughs> I mean, I've been playing with them, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's actually you know I, there are positives in that as well. Uh, you know, I feel like I can communicate with them quite easily because uh, I'm not that long out the dressing room. Sometimes they can, I can be used as a bit of a sounding board as they kind of they kind of appreciate that I know where they're coming from and can kind of still see it through the players' eyes in, in, in some respect. Uh, but yeah, I say I don't. I don't find it challenging at all. I don't think it's, it's awkward at all. Uh, I say uh, I've known John for a long time, and we have you know, a very kind of easy relationship. I mean, like you mentioned, uh, we you know we are quite close, and we're probably closer until until Flash came along, really. And, and the, <laughs> the, wedge the wedge. That's his nickname. <laughs> the funny thing is, when you're in the changing room with people, right? So you get used to certain things, and now this is going way off topic. But I haven't seen Paul Wellens naked for I think maybe three or four years, maybe two, you know, three, maybe three or four years. I haven't yeah. just because every day you're in the changing room, you get a shower with people, yeah. and you just get used to it. Nudity in a sports environment is just commonplace. Well, Paul got in the shower with me. You sound like you're missing that. No, no, no. Well, you got in the shower with me the other day, and I was strangely like mesmerised. I was like, we were. <laughs> can we back. just point out? Can we just point out that this was at the training? Oh no, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't, in, it wasn't in Paul's on suite. It wasn't the way to work, is it? <laughs> yeah. Should we stop off and have a shower, Paul? <laughs> that's, that's what you miss, though, isn't it? You know, a little bit of. Uh... Towel whipping and yeah. sword crossing. He's still in good nick, is Paul. You know, yeah. I mean, for, I mean, one of the things about Wello that he won't mind me saying is his attitude to training and pushing himself was something I think. When I was a younger player coming in, I, I, I mean, I, I think 
I looked up to Paul for a number of reasons. One is his emotional intelligence, which is not something when we were younger. I don't think we ever talked about. You don't talk about that. You don't. I don't think as a young man you understand it, but you understand when people have it. Yeah. And I remember walking into the dressing room and a sign of emotional intelligence from Paul was, I walked into the dressing room as sort of maybe an 18, 19 year old lad from Hull, wet, bit wet behind the ears. Walked into the changing room. There's Paul Newlove, Chris Joint, the Sculthorpe Long. With the clothes on. With the clothes on, thankfully. And... Out of everybody in that dressing room, Paul came over, made me feel at ease, uh, corrupted me for several years, actually, made me drink more Guinness than I probably should have done, I'd say 2004 to 8. Essentially groomed you. It groomed me into being a drinking partner, but that's emotional intelligence, isn't it? Now at the time, you know every when you meet somebody, you know if they've got it, and I think to be a great coach, which Paul will, will be and is becoming, you need that. It's the most important tool. Paul, and, Paul I take it you want to be a head coach eventually? You know, I get asked this question a lot, and, and if, you, if you ask me like quite quite loosely now, I would say yes. But it's uh, I'm not saying I don't set a time frame. I'm not saying yeah, definitely. I want I want this now. What 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 I want to do is continue to enjoy coaching. Uh, and now I'm, I'm loving the, the role I've got now. Some times I'm working on the Justin Albert. Uh, I've got my own like kind of area of things that I look after. Uh, you know, it, it it excites me and. You know, if I continue to enjoy it, I, I may be doing something similar to this in three, four years' time, five years' time, you know, whatever, kind of just play it by ear, really. But uh, as as uh, John and Flash and all like to think, play things by ear, not really commit to a lot of things. So, uh, <laughs> trying what, to get well out for me. See how the lamb lies. See how the lamb lies. What's the incentive then, Paul, for for great minds like yourselves in the in, in you know in in the game who's who's played in terms of you know former players to then go into coaching and be the number one guy. In, in the spotlight, in the limelight. Uh, okay, how, how do you mean? I can't. Uh, Just in terms of you know having had that playing career, what what is the actual incentive to to be to to be a coach to put yourself on on that pedestal and be judged, you know, and be and be criticised like that again, but in a, in a different in a different way. I think. That, do you know what, Will? I think that's a really good question because when you have a profile of success as a player, when that finishes. It, that that's intact, isn't it? Mm. But coaching is a tricky thing because you can get involved in coaching and you know not answering the question for you, Paul. But there's there's a risk there, isn't there? That, yeah. that you, well, you, and you, again, referring back to someone like Stephen Gerrard. You yeah, know, yeah. There's there's a risk because the guy's, the guy's legendary status. Paul has legendary status as a yeah. player. So so why there is a, there is an element there's of gambling risk. A, there? Yeah, it, and there is when you become the head of anything, mm. you become answerable to to everything and. If you are a head coach, you put your reputation on the line. And the, the reality is not a lot of head coaches leave places of work on good terms. We're yeah. looking at Arsene Wenger. Yeah. We're talking about Arsene Wenger and his, his longevity in the game. Now, of all the great things he's done, that invincible side, what he had, unbelievable strategy of recruitment, of finding uh, you know, diamonds in the rough. like Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond in the rough, his <laughs> full anthology. Um, look, that, that can be so quickly forgotten in sport and I suppose that's the risk Paul isn't it and it's not a risk it's just an, it's an, uh, a consequence of the job I suppose yeah and, and it's, a, it's a huge job isn't it and that's why you can when, when I look at it and that's why I don't totally 100% commit now to say yeah that's something I want to do it's something that I'm, I'm kind of still working out in my mind whether whether it's the, the right thing uh, all being well great I would love to, I would love to do it uh, but, but as you quite rightly point out, there's a, a lot that comes with it, uh, and, and you've got to factor that in. I think another thing on that is that 
it's, it's, you talk about being a head coach, it's, it's effectively a senior management role, isn't it? Uh, you know, with any other organisation or business, it would be a senior management role where you're responsible for 30-plus players, maybe 10 to 15 staff, and, and managing that. Uh, and in any other walk of life, you'd have to be seriously well-qualified well to, to run such a position. So that's why uh, uh, I'm very, you know, very keen to kind of build up a few years' experience and, and, and work on those other aspects of, of my coaching before before I would totally commit to a role like that. And what, what have you learned from coaches you've worked with? So let's let's go through let's go through the list. Who was your first head coach? That you worked under. My first head coach, well, Sean McRae gave me my debut with the St Helens, but he, uh, I, I spent very little time with, with Sean. I, uh, I was part time. I'd only come in and train and play a few games. The first, my first full time head coach was Ellery Handler. Uh, and what I got from Ellery, Ellery was, uh, you know, he was a real. He, he was kind of like he was as a player, uh, you know, so driven and wanted to win. But he was absolutely brilliant with young players. He he was a person who made me feel like I, I had a voice within the dressing room and I was only a 19 year old kid at the time and like you mentioned Alexi Paul Schoolfox Chris Joint Paul Newells Kareem Cunningham's in the dressing room it can be uh, or, you know a, a little bit uh, or, you know become overawed uh, but Ellery made me feel comfortable he made me feel like I had a voice I could speak up in team meetings and you know, it, it was a it was a big thing for me because I was never as a young person the most naturally outgoing I had to kind of feel comfortable in an environment before I'll put my, my points across. And what about Ian Millward then? So Ian Millward preceded uh, Ellery Hanley. What what did you learn from him? Uh, again, he, he, Ian came in and he kind of like changed out the way we play a bit more. When I spoke about Pep Guardiola before, Ian liked an attacking style of rugby and he, he, he put a lot of things into my game which I didn't think I had. Uh, he made me look at the game differently. Uh, which you know, which was huge, and you, as you as you know, John, John and Mark, you, you kind of text for every coach that you've worked with. You'll kind of text things that some things that you you feel were great, and, and perhaps other things that you te- that you think well, actually, I wouldn't want to repeat that. I wouldn't want to kind of repeat a mistake that, that they've made. So you kind of text small bits from everybody, and, and you use what you use what you can to, to positive effect. And then it was Daniel Anderson, wasn't it, for a few years at Saints, and he had a lot of joy and a lot of yeah. lot of success during that year. And that was pro- was that probably one of your personally one of your best best eras at the at the club. It was, yeah, it was one of like most successful personally as, as a player. But I think uh, again, like from from a coaching point of view, what, what Dan people talk about that team of two thousand and six that we had at St Helens, and people talk about saying oh, they could have won anything. It doesn't matter who coached them. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. What, what what we were at that time was, uh, and again, going back to what I listened to Damien you speaking the other week, talking about star culture, I think you mentioned it then, we had star culture at the team, we had a lot of superstars who uh, you know, were very kind of difficult characters to deal with at the time, but Daniel somehow brought everybody together and got got people moving in the right direction, got people thinking, putting the team first when perhaps that problem wasn't the most uh, natural instinct and, and, and that got results. So whilst it would have been a joy for him to coach a team with so many talented players, on the flip side, it, w- it would have been kind of a difficult challenge in terms of the, the characters that, that, that he, he had to, to deal with. And I think one thing that, you know, and this has been a reoccurring theme actually of, of the podcast and think it's, it's consistently come up. I think it came up when we were talking to 
to to James Haskell again with Damien Hughes and probably again with with Nathan Mill, our physio at St Helens, is is sometimes the most effective messages and the most effective tools to 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 make a change can be the simplest of things. Um, and I think when there's a transition in coaching, um, the two coaches that stood out in my mind that made the biggest difference was Daniel Anderson. Now he came in with a really simple technical sort of change to our team. It, 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 essentially, our marker defence, so the two square markers, it, it, he sort of tidied that up and immediately had an impact on our team. When Justin came in, very similar thing, tidied our defence up with really clear, succinct messaging. And I think when you come into a role and in a coaching role, having really simple, I think simple practical things that you can improve quickly, quickly... I think gets gets the boys on side with with what you want to do, and I think well, two points in my career is Daniel and Justin both did that and both executed a very simple plan quickly. Well, when you talk about the, you use the word simple, uh, and, and you talk earlier about coaching philosophy, that's a thing that, I, that fits within my coaching philosophy. Now is a it, word. It's simplicity. Uh, it's simple messages, you know, key messages. That, uh, and, and I find myself if they ever going too far becoming too complicated with players to pull myself back because simple simple works and I think you know if you overcomplicate anything you, you kind of make things that should be relatively easier a lot more difficult so simplicity is key like you said and Dan, Daniel had that uh, certainly within within his coaching yeah well thanks very much Wello for coming on I think that's been uh, I mean we we like I said we had a car journey up to Workington uh, for three and a half hours one thing actually Wello you're a terrible driver yeah. You, you're an awful driver. What? What? Wow. You don't like people letting you out at junctions, do you? Like me, I will not just follow the rules of the road. But what do you mean? So, I mean, so like, somebody flashes like you said, to let you out. Like why said, won't you just? Simplicity works, doesn't it? No, but why would you not? Someone's flashing you. Here's an opportunity, Paul. Please come out of this junction and proceed to Workington. Why would you not take that opportunity? I think, I think, I think this discussion is probably for a whole new podcast, I think, uh, about, about about driving. All I would say, Johnny, I had a wonderful time with you in the car. Paul, can you leave us, leave us with any strange anecdotes about John Wilkin? We, we get you know a few from Mark on a weekly basis, but any any bizarre stories you can bring oh. out about Mr Wilkin? He's looking... I'm not sure, to be honest, off the top of my head. Must be, uh, must be something that springs to mind. Maybe, 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 maybe Flash, you could... Uh, I like the one when uh, did he, few, did sure. he um, throw a few um, stones at your house when you were asleep one night? Excuse oh me. no, 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 no! <laughs> I climbed his tree. Oh, well, I climbed his tree. Oh, what? This is where we should have started. Yeah, the from garden. My wife was seven months pregnant. Our first child. I was in the bedroom window to come out. It was three thirty in the morning. And John and two of his teammates were. June curtains and, and I could hear a load of commotion and noise outside but I was looking down around the driveway and around the front garden to see if I could see anybody and then directly in, like looking me eye to eye up the tree in the front garden was, was John Wilkin yeah and uh, well, I've got. Uh, there's a story. There's a, for about six months after that. There's that a reason. Sounds a bit like Raoul Moat. I had to take boxes of roses round to all of his neighbours <laughs> to apologise because I was singing. We love you well, oh, and if it's quite all right, we basically I was stuck up his tree. There's an interesting. You're stuck up there. The reason I was up his tree, and what, actually Paul came out of the house and told me off. I was up the tree with James Roby and Ian Hardman, who plays at Featherstone all now. Of you were in the same. We're tree. all in the tree. Saving a cat. Paul Wellens came to the front door and, using a lot of expletives, told us very directly, in a very simple way, which is one of his philosophies, to get out of his tree. Um, at that stage. Uh, 
Hardman and Roby, the shit houses, got out the tree, yeah. left me up the tree, stranded. Stubborn. So I was there facing. How long were you in the tree for? Um, I'd say it was, you know, it was a good 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, where just me and Paul were having a standoff. Then he invited me in to go to bed. <laughs> uh, that night itself, actually, James Roby's dad has got a pub in his house called the Black Bull. Right. right, it's quite famous amongst rugby league players. James Graham, especially, spent a lot of time in the Black Bull. Yeah. He's got an array of absinthe in there. He took me into the Black Bull. James Roby's dad fed me a load of absinthe. The next thing I knew, I was up Paul Wellens's tree. <laughs> and uh, and there that's we go. about we, it. <laughs> we asked for an anecdote and we found one. Should we do some questions for this week? Yes, that'd yes, be great. Yeah. So I would love to. Um, da 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 da. Okay, so first question of episode 14. Um, who's the coach, no matter the sport, that you would most like to be coached by and why? I'm not going to say Pep Guardiola because Welland's already mentioned. Too much talk Pep Guardiola. Yeah. No, he's, he's pretty good though, isn't mm. he? He's all right, isn't he? Yeah. Fellow bald guy. Eddie Jones, I think I like the look of. I like the cut of his jib. Mm. Um, aggressive. Um, by all accounts, the lads like him and his company. Yeah. He's had success. Um, yeah, I like. I like High school loves him. I like old school, grumpy Aussie blokes. We used to have a guy, Royce Simmons, that coached St Helens, and I got on really well with Royce. Um, and he reminds me a little bit of him. John? Hmm. Uh, Beyonce. <laughs> If yeah, she was a coach, to have a coach yeah. and stuff <laughs> <laughs> I hope she's done a level three in rugby league. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Can you imagine doing rook control drills with no, Beyonce? <laughs> get her on the four G. Sharon Stone. She's a big she's, 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 she hasn't tweeted in a while. Stone, <laughs> the most. Let's find the most unlikely rugby league fan uh, possible. That that actually brings me on to the to the discussion. Eddie Jones, when he rocked up at Manchester Oxford Road Station, and he was coming down as a guest for Sir Alex Ferguson watching Manchester United against Chelsea. And was abused by a, a couple of guys who clearly at that time on a whatever it was a Sunday morning, and he just they just lost to Scotland in the the Calcutta Cup match. The day there were Scottish fans, weren't they? Yeah, which was weird, wasn't it? At yeah. Manchester train station, a bit of a coincidence. But and they had no idea he was there. They were just pissed up and and abusing him. And then they followed him into his car and opened the door and shouted something else. So they haven't, you know, essentially physically abused the guy. But they they've been done and they've been in court and so on. They were like 27, 28 year old two guys just hanging outside the train station on a Sunday afternoon drunk every Imagine day but um, the first thing that I was thinking is wouldn't it have been great if just a couple of his players were with him you know that they try this on a guy who Eddie Jones is what five foot seven um, you know <laughs> just see Joe Marler walk around just the corner exactly Haskell with it Joe Marler <laughs> Courtney Laws and just kind of <laughs> yeah. I, that, that, that was one thing we don't know we talked about things like Carragher and we talked about yeah. Albert Kelly and all that that was one incident that I just thought people have an unnatural confidence don't they I was oh. listening to Andrew Flintoff tell a story about him getting slapped so a man approached Andrew Flintoff drunk and just slapped him straight across his face and in that situation if you're in the public eye again you know what can you do yeah, yeah. what can you do there's nothing more degrading than being slapped and if a man slaps you in a pub you can't punch him like because it'll be on the papers no but freddie flinter you'll get away with it mark and i would yeah. but would you i don't think you would yeah i think you wouldn't think you it wouldn't would. it wouldn't be as publicly scrutinized as freddie flintoff so slapping ce slapping celebrities actually is I'd say is, is is a problem. A bit like Dennis Penis squirting water in Tom Cruise's face. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Dennis Penis was genius. <laughs> Who's Dennis Penis? He's um, a character. It's all on Pete Tong. Yeah, created by that actor who plays that. that. Game of Thrones as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Now, on that, in fact, on that subject, I went down to the driving range the other day, 
And um, here's one of your stories where you tell. Had you been to bed? No, I had slept in a week. I had been, I had been to bed, uh, and I was I was going to play golf. That's what I was doing. Trying to be a little bit of VAT own. added to the story. No, no, no VAT. Just um, yeah. what's what's the price without VAT? Kind of thing. And I went down there. Less VAT. Yeah. And the entrance <laughs> to the driving range, which is opposite where where Salford play by the AJ Bell, other side of the road. It was actually just before I came to watch you play, Mark, on oh, yeah, Friday night against whoever it was when you lost again. Um, oh, beat, no, you did actually win. We, we hammered Wakefield. You did, you did. Yeah, you and, live in Salford, so get with the programme. Yeah, and uh, as I was turning into the driving range, I just didn't I didn't indicate because I thought, you know, straight on is a is an office block. It was 6pm or whatever. No one was working in there and it was kind of a dead end and there's only I'm only going to turn right or go straight on. So if can you picture that? So I'm going along. I'm only going to turn right. I think you described it really well. Go yeah. straight on. If a guy yeah. coming out of that junction, where's he going to go? You know, he, he's only going to go left. So he's going to have to wait for me to go by either way. It doesn't matter if I indicate. Mm. Anyway, I didn't indicate and I went down the road and I saw this white BMW turn around and suddenly just did a circle in, in, the, in the middle of the road and chased me. So I went and parked up outside the driving range and... Um, white BMW was just hovering behind my car. So I thought, what, what is this guy doing? And I got out of the car and he went, I fucking come down here to tell you you're a prick. <laughs> Good on him. Um, you know, which in some cases may be justified. In this one, I was thinking, what, what, an, I said, what are you on about? Mm-hmm. With a couple of expletives. And, uh, and, he, and he went, you heard me. You fucking chestnut. <laughs> a chestnut. Yeah, like, is that, I don't know what that is. A compliment? Or I don't know. Anyway, what's a chestnut? I opened my boot because I was just get, get, getting my clubs to go and play golf, and he was still there, hovering there. And, uh, and I went, what? I went, jog on, mate. Just started, you know, even though he wasn't running, he was in a car. And so I got the clubs out of my boot just to go to the car in a semi-threatening way to think, like, what? What are you going to do here? And pull my, then, then, you know, chimp goes back in the cage. And I thought I'm just going to get in there. Let, I'll be the bigger guy. Just walk in. Obviously, they had to come out and move my car because I thought he's going to come back in. <laughs> so did you pull the golf? I pulled the golf bag club out. And he sort of drove away. Thought, no, yeah, I just I only had a few clubs with me, so I had my bag in the boot. Just pulled a few clubs. Which out. club do you, would you have cho- chosen? Uh, I would have gone probably with the. I got a pretty lethal putter. Yeah, so I'd I'd have mm, in the yeah. shins. Put yeah. him in the shins. But what, you know, what people what, have fake confidence and are so aggressive in the car. It it, it it baffles me how angry people get when driving. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Paul Wellens went to work with him. He's the most placid driver ever, but behind him is a sea of chaos. Uh, he's weaving all over, the, you know what I mean? There's cars behind him swearing, we're getting flashed. Do you know? And people are so aggressive in cars. I can't understand it. And what was his argument for not going when he was flashed? What did he say? Well, his I think... justification? I don't know what his justification is. he said it was, I don't want to go because they... It's their decision. I if listen. I want, if I want to go in that spot, I want it to be my decision. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He's a control freak, yeah. <laughs> the highest order. Do, just follow the rules of the road. I think was his <laughs> line. I think that was the line. We digress. More questions. Um, Aaron Smith, if the three of you had to l- run the London Marathon last weekend, what order and time would you have finished? See, I've run a marathon. You have as well, John. So we've got an idea. Have Mark, you run a marathon? Yeah, I run two in a week. No big deal. That's yeah. good, isn't it? I'd win. John would win. Yeah. Mark would be second, Will would be third. Do you reckon? What yeah. time would you go? 3.40. Oh, five. I was 3.43 mm. in London I'd get 3.42 then, I'd say. Nah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe 3, yeah. I think John would win because he's weird. 
and I can compete with that. I don't think that's like a currency. I don't think that's <laughs> that a currency in distant sports. John wins. Why? Because he's weird. Yeah, just the weirdest people. Imagine if the weirdest people won the marathon. That'd be good, wouldn't it? You see Jimmy Savile bouncing across the finish line Ooh, in first. Let's mention Jimmy Savile on the podcast. Savile, oh, episode God, taking a turn. Really weird. It was turn, PC it? until that point. <laughs> it was, <God. laughs> it was PC. Um, Stu M says, no one won it last week. Question mark. Well, we've resurrected that, haven't we? Daniel Caulfield, great question. <laughs> Keep them coming. Paul Scarisbrick. Scarsbrook. No. Scarisbrick. Why are you saying it in Scottish voice? Scarisbrick. Like Scarisbrick. Like Lord, the Lord Scarisbrick. <laughs> <laughs> um, which player who you've played with has the most? I, I generally can't. I think I'm a bit ill today. I'm sorry about this. Which player uh, who you've played with has made the most of their limited skills? And conversely, who's not made the most of their talents? What the most, the most important talent or hard work? Well. I think there's a leading question, isn't it? I think hard work trumps talent. Mm. Lots of players have made like an unbelievable career out of just being dogged and being determined. I think one that stands out to mind was Bat Rowe for St. Helens, a good friend of mine, Mike Bennett, who was, you know, we've mentioned Cal's boobies for hands. Um, He couldn't catch or play rugby, but was, he made himself fit, strong, fast, and technically very clean and tidy. And Daniel Anderson, as a coach, always used to say to Mike Bennett, and I always remember this, it always something that stuck in my mind. He went, Mike, I have you in... The-. He dropped a ball in a game and he got he got absolutely destroyed off Daniel Anderson at half-time. And in this game, Sean Long must have made 15 errors. And, he, and Daniel Anderson hadn't mentioned anything to Sean Long. And after the game, Mike Bennett went, look, Ando, I thought you were harsh at half-time. I'd made one error, Sean had made... X amount and he said yeah but you don't understand you're purely in the team because you don't make mistakes and the fact you don't make mistakes allows me to pick Sean who does mm. and that was but he made the most of having very limited talent but he did, he created a job for himself and did it on the flip side to that he was most talented players that you I think I, as an outsider looking in it was always Lee Breers for me mm, who he was natu- most talented. naturally talented but you just felt like never fulfilled maybe his potential because I just think he if he'd have been coached by Andrew Johns or worked with Andrew Johns from a young age uh, instead of having maybe that influence on the back end of his career he could have been one of the best halfbacks because he didn't play for his country Lee did he 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 didn't play for Great Britain yeah I played with Cal Price Leon Price's younger brother at Bradford and Wigan who's bigger than Russia oh he was 6'7 he was quick great feet for his side skillful but he just didn't take care of himself, didn't try, he wasn't fit. Uh, and he could have been absolutely anything. In I think it was 2006, he was like 19 and it was predominantly an outside back and he played standoff for Bradford in the World Club Challenge and he was man of the match. And he should have kicked on from there and played for his country and, and been one of our great players. I remember speaking to um, Luke Burgess about Dave Taylor that played for Catalan and uh, he's some, I think he's playing the Queensland Cup somewhere now. He's, I could look at Dave Taylor all day. He's oh, one of those weird un- shapes. Like you, you will, uh, the most unnatural shaped man I've ever come I across. I think he's got gigantism. Like his hands. I had a few drinks with the Catalan boys after we played them a couple of years ago, and his hands are that big that when he's picking up a, like a drink and a glass and pouring stuff, he's like knocking things over and elbowing people, and he's just too big for his body. Gigantism. Yeah, that's that's a that's a condition. Isn't it is it? a thing. Yeah. Chabelle had it. Yeah. Sebastian Chabelle. Um, but um, Gordon Tallis, the, the legendary uh, Queensland and Australian back rower, 
said to Biffa when Dave Taylor was running over everybody at training, he said, God's God's not that stupid that he gives him all the physical attributes and gives him drive and uh, an and attitude as well. So he gives it to the shit kid that, that tries really hard and then and then gives him like none of none of the mental attributes that you need. So a lot of the times it's the lads that, that don't need it that, that have got all, all those attributes. Yeah, and having physical attributes or being a great athlete as a younger kid can be really... I think detrimental to to you your ability to learn because by definition physically you succeed. So if you're big and quick and you're you know when you're 12 and you always play against that kid who's six foot and he you know in Hull he used to drive to the game he's already got three kids by then. That that guy that guy. Jamie whenever you get to 16, 17, it's a real struggle because they've never had to learn how to adapt and how to be different and how to play the game just because they're physically good. And Dave Taylor probably falls into that category. A really big man, but he's probably let himself down with his with his approach to the game. Oh, I like this one from James Walker. Which player's family members are the biggest embarrassment in the player's bar? But probably mine. Why are you going to say that? Carol again. Carol, get him Carole. off, get him off, get off his head. Carole. Carole, Italian, Italian. Carole. that's why I'm olive-skinned, yes. Yeah, you are very olive-skinned, aren't you? Yeah. I, I, I'm very jealous because I have to probably slap on a whole pot of sort of... Bronzer. Moisturiser, which, <laughs> which, you know, essentially paints and taints your skin. Yeah, no, well, I'm naturally brown, well, thank you, you're, you're yes. Olive, no, it's... it's Congratulations. Well, olive, I'd like to say... Olive-coloured melted candle. I would like to... <laughs> <laughs> they'll sell. Um, so you are sort of a quarter Italian? No, I'm joking. I, I'm, when I met my wife for the first time, I told her I was half Italian, which she believed for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. really? Right. You might have got away with that when you had slick, flowing black locks. <laughs> Not now. You just look like an East End gangster. So, Carol and Phil at rugby matches are quite funny because my dad is relatively quiet, very rarely says anything or comments. Yeah. My mum is aggressive and... Like, my dad is, I would say, like, just a really chilled sort of border collie. My mum is like a West Yorkshire sort of terrier. He's a very uh, vocal, uh, I think especially to referees, towards referees. Carol is. Yeah, get him on sad. Yeah, get him on In a whole sad. big hole. Get him on sad. Get him on sad. John Nurk. John Nurk, get off his head. That's the kind <laughs> of things you would hear in the players' well, bar next amazing. to my mum. I, I could listen he, to Carol. I think, can I use the T word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a twat. Twat him, <laughs> twat him. Um, yeah, so she's. I, look, I love my mum to bits. She, she's the biggest disgrace. No, she inspires me a lot. She's passionate, and I love that about my mum. No, I mean in the bar, she's also the biggest disgrace. No, she's not. No, she's, no, she's, she's just come winding. I'm just hoping do, do, she listens. Do, do you have that sort of culture in rugby league? Do you have the the wag culture? Do you have all the wives who hate each other? And uh, no, there's no. sometimes wives or wags can. Name names. name names, Mark. They pretend. Name they names. think there's something they're not. They think it's something special Big to be timers. to be a, uh, to go out with a rugby player. Specifically, no examples. Asked, really, examples needed. So it's a bit what? like. No. It's Come on. A bit like, what Let's give one. There's, there must be one at Salford then, because he wouldn't have well, mentioned there is that. At Salford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the wives it's that like, say. Chill out, You're not that special. You're just <laughs> going out with a rugby player. We're not. We'll just knock about blocks. Oh, this one uh, popped up and we didn't discuss it, which we said we would do a couple of weeks ago. Jonathan Duncan, rugby league future, Toronto or Cumbria? Discuss, because I know you had some points on this, John, which we need to do in depth more when we're going to get 
one of the big dogs at Toronto on. Yeah, no, I think they. Yeah, well, I'll give you a little brief summary of what I think. I think look, expanding the game is great, but I think investment in the heartlands is 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 absolutely core to the growth of the game. Cumbria, the problem it's got, and I went up there with Paul Wellens at the weekend, is the population. So what are you doing up there again? There was a charity dinner raising money yeah. for Workington Town. Right. Um, but it's right. not a charity. It was for raising money for Workington so Town. Far, yeah. <laughs> it essentially is a charity, isn't yeah. it? Not Workington that, Town, not the place, as in the rugby team. Right. Not we're raising Cumbria money for work. Workington Town. <laughs> Can you, we're doing a fundraiser for Workington, the we're place. Raising money for a town. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's like uh, absolutely obsessed with the game up there. Love right. love it. They've so got that so much would, would passion. Would it work in your eyes? Something like that. It, it, the, it's got a couple of big challenges. One is how staunch that each, um, how staunch each of the 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 teams. As support, like say for example, working to Whitehaven, divided by a few miles, yeah. hate each other and have a really strong identity. Yeah. So there's talk of a merger and all that, but that's going to be so difficult to get over the line and get supported. Second big challenge for me is the sparsity of their population. Yeah. So they, they they live in like little huts on the hills all around. There's not there's not many of them. from Workington or any, <laughs> any parts of Cumbria <laughs> doesn't live in a hut or a hill. Please tweet it. <laughs> yeah, no. But would, would the answer not, not be to? Country. I think let's not over egg this now. Have a Cumbria want... rugby team that's not affiliated to any one team, but it's just um, an independent team that's got, yeah, got I... some funding behind it and. Uh, and and just new people in, involved and and see where that goes. Yeah, I think I think that's right. But I think this is a, a topic for one of our podcasts. Okay, the yeah. growth of the game and where we go from here. Yeah, yeah. we'll move it on and uh, talk about that another week. Uh, Emily says, "What are your guys' thoughts on sports psychologists?" I know we obviously we had Damien Hughes and we discussed that in depth. But Emily says, "Have you ever used one yourself?" And is there a stigma about getting help uh, for your performance in rugby league? I've got a good one actually. We around the time that Wayne Rooney came onto the scene at Everton. Mm. Obviously, I've, we were playing at Saints at the time, and in all the national newspapers, there was the the wizard behind the Wonder Kid was the headlines, yeah. and it was Wayne Rooney's mind doctor, so his psychologist was was like in all the papers, and it was a guy called Watt Nickel, really eccentric Scottish guy, yeah. and he came into our changing room and he worked with us and whatever, and and I was young and impressionable at the time. And I remember one of the most embarrassing moments of my career ever was I really bought into the sports psychology. I really bought into the things he was saying. And as a result, he was in the changing room before a game. And he's in his, in his Scottish accent, he, 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 you know, you've got a, such a mixed bag in the changing rooms. You've got Darren Britt, who's a 36-year-old Australian, down to me, who's 18, 19, English lad. And he said, he said, lads, I want you to see the word win in front of you. He said, I want you to compress that word win. And as you do, he said, scream win at the top of your voice. That was, and I was like, oh. So anyway, um, he said, oh, close your eyes and do it. So I uh, closed my eyes, screamed win, and my hands were coming together as I was compressing this this word win. Just as I was, I was getting to the end of it, I was like, win! I had the crack of my eye opened. And I just looked across at Darren Britt. Not one other player had done it. I was the only player who did it. <laughs> and Darren Britt was just scratching his head looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember blushing as I ran out. <laughs> and then did he tell you to go out and sleep with granny prostitutes? Or? Um, I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> that that was his influence or that 
that has happened. <laughs> I think it did happen. I think, fully I think even Colleen is fully aware of that. Yeah. Mark, do you want to say anything on that one? Or should we move on and ask another uh, one? No, let's move on. I think um, really Genghis Campbell says, when Genghis, GPS... Genghis Campbell. He's <laughs> <laughs> not like Attila, Attila the Hun. I'm worried about Jibbers. Yeah. He's, not, he's not been If anyone knows Jibbers, could Maybe you see if he's all right? Maybe he's unsubscribed. No, bullshit. Not having it. Um, when did GPS come in, says Genghis Campbell? How do players like it? And does it mean that there is nowhere to hide on a pitch? Can you see coaching staff Isn't getting him? all... A sabermetric money ball on team selection. His name can't be Genghis. His name is Genghis Campbell. That's not is obviously not his name. Well, you you answer it, and I'll click on his profile. So what's the question again? It was saying about GPS. GPS, yeah. So instead when, when of using, come in, how do, do players like it? Does it mean that there's no hiding on a pitch? Can you I see don't the, get much feedback. We don't get much feedback from from when we wear it. I think, when do you wear it on your back? Yeah. yeah. In the uh, shirt, sewn into the in, shirt, sewn into the shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I never get much feedback from the. This S and C stuff uh, as to how much I've done in the game. I think, I think on early in the week they will um, discuss with the physios and the coaches who did it a lot during the match or who's had a big workload the, the previous weeks. Um, but yeah, you just get on with it, don't you? Yeah, I think Nathan Mill, our physio, he, he alluded to its use, and I think it's all to do with workloads. So how many meters you're running through the week, then equate that to a game. And then you're looking for trends and patterns through the week. If there's soft tissue injuries or a number of soft tissue injuries, our physios will look at the load that week. Is it high? Is it a lot high so speed? You wear it in training as well these days. Yeah, we wear it every day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, it's information. Information can be used in the wrong way and the right way. I think used in the right way, it's a really useful tool for the game. GPS used in the wrong way is is just a series of dull numbers isn't it so yeah I think it's been good for the game but we don't the fans don't need to know about it do they it's a performance tool Genghis you don't need to know mate Genghis <laughs> keep, keep your nose out Lawrence says John what was your experience on the 2005 GB documentary League of Their Own and should there be more documentaries in sports <clears throat> rugby league yes I, I, I love sports documentaries I, mm. there's lots on Netflix and what's your favourite um, what's the one with uh, I love the Lions Tours ones the Lions Tours and there's a couple of NFL ones the best of the Beatles then. oh Hard Knocks <laughs> Hard Knocks yeah yeah they're good yeah. I think it gives you a great insight to what goes on behind the scenes of sports clubs and the trials and tribulations during the season and what happens to players when they're injured and, and it kind of um, gives you an insight into the emotions and the people behind an 80 minute performance and I, I think that's one way of, of growing and and um, Promoting the game is to get get uh, maybe pick a team or or invest in some kind of documentary and do a hard knock series. And yeah, see because it's, it's a very unique yeah. sport, rugby league, and and but the, the challenges of, of clubs and fans and like you, you say, you look at Castleford. I don't think there's any sports club in the country that's similar to Castleford. It's a town of sixty thousand people built um, around um, a series of mines. Uh, one uh, ten, I think it's ten to fifteen percent of the people who live there go and watch the, the team on a weekend yeah. and it's it's a town that's completely immersed in its rugby club and I think it's great and I think it's it's so different to what the sports and teams that you see on telly on a weekend when it's Man United and, and the players and the club is so removed from the community and and the people that, that that started it many years ago. Yeah, and the, look, we this podcast is whippets and flat caps and that's just a piss take, isn't it? We're taking the piss out of the perception of rugby league. Well, is League of the Road not the one where it followed the championship sides in, in, into the dressing room? There was a, there was a documentary that basically followed uh, championship sides trying to get promoted into Super League around that time, and it was a it was like almost a slapstick 
sort of look at north you know northern england and and these really regional coaches swearing at the players uh, you know, irrationally sort of swearing at the players. Well, I think ago, a really you, you had an idea about this, didn't you? Really artistic documentary. Yeah. I think would 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 work if it was if it was done well and executed well. Uh, David Ashfield, this is a bit of a harsh one. But I'm just going to ask it anyway. Someone said last week you can't. It's unfair to ask John and Mark these questions when they play in Super League. But why? I'm just going to ask you. I don't know. Going to ask you anyway because you're, still, because you're still involved. It's, Unfair to ask what question? You can't really comment on people that you're playing with. Well, and that's so on. nonsense. But that's the whole point of what we do. You can do, have an opinion on, on the current game and, and not look. I think in life we, you, people are really scared to give their opinions, aren't they? Mm. Um, so that, I know what's the question? Gonna, I, know you're, I know you're not going to answer <laughs> this question now. Anyway, uh, David says, which current Super League player in brackets, from what you know, is the most overpaid compared to their talent and impact? Oh, he's already gone into his chode shell. <laughs> a retreating chode. Retreating chode. Uh, John Wilkin. <laughs> exactly. Weasel. Mark, you're not going to answer that either, are you? Bunch of I fucking pussies. Think no, no. Um, uh, right, uh, d- it would have been, uh, I should probably say, jeez, I don't know. Jamie oh, Foster. Pound for pound. Ja- um, ja- ma- Jamie. Jamie Foster. <laughs> Jamie Foster. <laughs> Poor lad. I like Jamie Foster, but... But that's your answer. Jamie Foster from both of them. Uh, Tom Willow says, John, what is this? There's not a lot of questions for you, Mark. Sorry about this. It's fine. Um, what, feel free to chip in. No, it's fine. I'm what I'm not wanted. John, what is your favourite <laughs> cafe at Bradgate Park? The one, the big one, or the dear tea room? I, I love Bradgate Park. Where's Bradgate Park? Um, it, what is is, Bradgate Park? it is about five miles south of Leicester, adjacent to a lovely little hamlet called Rothley. Right. Um, so do you know this, lovely this pub. said person? Tom I Willow? walk my dogs in Bradgate Park. Right. Um, so that sounds like Tom knows that you do that. Yes. Um, so John's got a dog called Blue, and when it runs away, oh, you have to get his attention. What do you shout, John? Blue. And he goes in a very camp voice. <laughs> blue, blue. <laughs> oh my blue, goodness blue. gracious me. Don't you? Well, what do you want me to do? Leave him to get well, run just over. Say it more like a man. Is no, he named he after? Is it like you're my boy, Blue? From blue. Old school. Yeah, it's B L U. It was his eyes were blue, but it changed. I'm, anyway, I'm I walk my dogs in Brad. Tom knows that you. Well, he's obviously seen me and Francesca, who lived adjacent to the park when she was in the Olympic program at Loughborough. Right. We walked our dogs t- thrice daily on Bradgate Park right. when I was down there. So, Tom, uh, thank you for the question. A lot of um, Maybe the deer GPS units on their back. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know they're gonna have bad hips when they're older. Yeah. The deer, the smaller deer. Calf is my fave. Uh, well, actually, this one is, is also from Tom Willow, and it includes you in it, oh, Mark. Great. It Thanks, says uh, Flash and John. This mm. one, so uh, maybe you just stay out the questions that are addressed to you, and, yeah. and just you know chip on the ones mm. that are. As industry experts, yep. why is tea <laughs> as, viewed as a second-class beverage next to coffee? It's not. I don't think it is. I probably drink all. more tea than I do coffee. But you sell more coffee in your place, don't you? Mm, we sell a lot of tea. Oh, I think I like coffee because it just gives you a bit of a high. You know, you're like, oh god, I can get on with my. It's day. legal as well, yeah, which it's not all year highs. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you drank? Is that what you were drinking when you went to the World <laughs> Snooker Championships? Lots of coffee. Uh, yeah, lots of coffee actually. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, we probably had about sort of fifteen pints of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> 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 a pint of coffee, please. I'll get to... Why don't we have pints of coffee? Just 
It's too much. Why do? Can I get a pint of? I can get espresso martini on a night out. He says you can't have a coffee on a night out. You can have a coffee. You You can have a coffee on a night out, Will. Um, So, so, so it is tea. Tea craft. Really good loose leaf tea is as good a product as coffee. Uh, But it's like anything. You can get bad coffee. You get bad tea. I went round. Typhoo used to sponsor us, and I went round the Typhoo factory, and. That, did you come with me, Mark? Oh, yeah. Well, we did. I'm not, I'm not important, so... <laughs> no, we, we went. We went and hand. we did a tea tasting. Yes. And Typhoo paid for the tea taster at Typhoo to have a full platinum grill. So he's all his teeth. He had platinum teeth. Like a, a wrapper from New Orleans. normal fillings affect yeah. your taste. So when he was tasting tea, he yeah. gets the Typhoo tea bags tasting the same. So they paid three and a half thousand quid for his dental work to make sure... His taste was not <laughs> affected by his fillings. Wow. Yeah. I just said, tell the stupid idiot to stop eating sweets. So, see, I love, I love, as much as I love coffee, I love tea. I've got a box at home with actually tea bags are in an alphabetical uh, order of, you know. That's why you're single, stuff like that. You should never tell a woman that. Should Darjeeling was next. Immediately it? dry up. <laughs> um, Earl Grey after that. Zach <laughs> says, this is to all three of you. Oh, Will, you've you been here. Um, if you were arrested, with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume that you'd done? Trespassing on climbing up Paul, Paul Willis' Willis tree. tree. <laughs> 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 Great story that. Uh, uh, absinthe, I'll have a drink. Don't know. Uh, I th- I'm going to answer Naked. for you, and you answer for me. Uh, John would be. I think Mark would be arrested for. Um, I think ABH. Um, actual bodily harm. He wouldn't beat somebody up properly, but if he found the man with the bench, yeah. ooh, I, I imagine he'd give him a really nasty Chinese burn, or <laughs> maybe even ruffle, you know, get him in a headlock and ruffle his a head. Chinese burn on the pitch. No, <clears throat> accidentally, yeah. There's lots of Chinese. There's uh, nothing worse. John then. would definitely be drunk and disorderly. It'd yeah. be one of them that he'd be staggering down the street, and the policeman would very politely say, "Come on, mate, do you want to move on now or get in and get home?" And he'd just be. Give him a, a drunk and disorderly. I'm going to change that to drunk and uh, sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if there is a, if there is a prisonable offence, drunk, sarcastic, and repetitive, <laughs> childish behaviour. On that subject, and this is my what answer. Would yeah, what would well, I, I have been arrested before, so I hope no one from the BBC is listening. A long time ago, didn't only got a caution. Was it for crimes against fashion? Uh, <laughs> this it was around that time. And uh, long story short, walking back, it was actually just after England had won the World Cup against Australia 2003. I was walking through the centre of Manchester and I had some university halls which were down by Danzig Street, if anyone knows it, right up near the print works back of there. And we were walking down the street and we decided to just snap off a car park barrier. Kind of mm. accidental. We were sort of like, way swaying with it. And it was <laughs> so we were like, okay, well, we'll take that, obviously. <laughs> and we then had a road sign, all very immature and childish, but then we then had a road, a road sign. So I kind of was jousting down the street with this car park barrier and a road <laughs> sign for a shield, pretending I was on a horse <laughs> running down the street. That's uh, one of my favourite words, jousting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and anyway, got to the to the halls. Someone shouted out the window. like, Ey. So I was like, shove the car park barrier up into there window they took it uh, well we'll have that trophy you know whatever beer trophy yeah and um and it, it somehow ended up in the skip out of the back of our halls whatever but that was that was in, in theory how i thought the night ended next day so I, was, I think i was watching coronation street about four in the afternoon with no clothes on on my bed irrelevant and, uh, detail the, no jokes 
the police smashed down my door at Halls, came in, and to get the car park barrier and, and arrested me. It's kind of weird and that, isn't put it? Me, and put me in the police car outside. And as soon as I got in the police car, I opened the door. The car park barrier was in the police car. <laughs> and they, they put me in the car and just went, Do you know what this is about? And I was like, uh, let me guess. Yeah. <laughs> Something to do with that. <laughs> and anyway, they let me off because I told them the story about What it. could they arrest you for? Well, Criminal they had damage? The CCTV or footage of me sticking the thing through the I'd window. I'd pay good money to see that CCTV footage. Yeah. yeah, the CCTV footage of me running down the street with it. And Jousting. Can you explain what you're doing for the purpose of the, the tape? Because they're recording me. Full interview, Collie Hurst Police Station. I was like, well, it's been a bit of a dick. In man. my head, I was pretending to be a knight jousting, mm. and, and then they were just like, "You're an idiot, get out of here." I fell asleep <laughs> in a taxi in Sydney, uh, drunk, uh, in the 2006 Four Nations. After it had finished, me and James Roby stayed out. We got drunk. I fell asleep in a taxi, and uh, as anybody who knows me really well, if I've had a bit to drink, I fall asleep in a taxi. There is no waking me up. Like I just go into a deep sort of coma-like state. I've seen it first time. Um, yeah. Anyway, so sleeping. Uh, get to outside the Manly Pacific Hotel. The taxi driver's trying to get me out of the car. I'm just this big sloppy, floppy mess in the car. And anyway, instead of getting me out, he just drove me around to the police station um, uh, at the back behind the Manly Pacific Hotel, which I got <laughs> out. I didn't have a clue where I was. There's sort of a policeman, like, where are you staying? Uh, <laughs> I was trying to form words. Uh, but I remember... Um, walking out of the police station in Manly and for some reason Shakespeare came into my head and I was like to the ladies and fellows of the Man Manly Constabulary I bid you adieu <laughs> what's <laughs> out <laughs> in which case uh, I think the other thought was a wanker what a weird guy um, Sam Varley who is the funniest team you have both had and John one of the big pre-game discussions we have who's better Robes or Cunningham Funniest team. Well, funniest teammate, I'll give you funniest teammate, is Nick Fozard. Eccentric, over-the-top, larger-than-life character. Uh, about We talk about big men. He was a, bi a big man. Well, around the t time we were mega successful, I think it was five or six, 2005-06, uh, everyone was interested in what we were doing. Um, so, for example, like England Rugby Union came round to have a look at what we were doing one day, and it was Rob Andrew... I think he was quite high up in the RFU at the time. He had his chinos on, his England Rugby Union tie. He came round to look around our training base and, and maybe followed Daniel Anderson, look at some methods. And uh, Nick Fozard got wind of this and he, we all got told to be on our best behaviour. He said, be on your best behaviour. The, the RFU were coming to have a look around our training base. Uh, we had a big medical cupboard at the time and it was sort of a walk-in medical cupboard where all the strapping was kept. Nick Fozard knew that England were looking around the medical facilities that day and specifically he went into the medical room where all the tape was. He stripped off naked, put a chair in the middle of the room, taped his own legs to the chair, uh, put his own socks in his mouth, taped them into his mouth, and pretended he'd been bound and gagged and left in there by the physio staff. So Rob Andrew, the, the physio staff go, this is our medical room and here's the medic, here's the here's where we keep all the strapping. Nick Fozard is sat in there with his <laughs> socks stuffed in his mouth, making the... <laughs> As though he'd been trapped in there by the medical team overnight. <laughs> you could only just see Ch Chino wearing Rob Andrew doing a bout turn, and I don't think he he took an awful lot from that visit. But he's the funniest teammate, I think. Um, who did I play? With? I I played with a guy called Bo Ryan uh, at the West Tigers in Australia, and um, 
<clears throat> in the second season I was there, he was um, hired by the footy show, um, the, the big rugby league magazine show over there to, to do comedy sketches um, whilst playing. So he was taking the piss out of his teammates and opponents on a, on a weekly basis and then he'd play against them on the weekend. And I think Sonny Bill Williams um, copped a bit of shit off him. And before one game, they bumped into each other in the tunnel. And Bowie was like, hey, Sonny, how's it going? You know, And then he just, just didn't respond and stared at him. And then when they came out to play, he just hammered him for 80 minutes. So then I think after that, Bowie just decided to, to pick on the smaller he did, guys. He did uh, an amazing Paul Gallon. He used to rip Paul Gallon to bits, yeah, he did, didn't yeah. he? Is yeah. it G train like a little stumpy? <laughs> little stumpy dwarf. <laughs> and in a word, then go on, put the discussion to bed. Robes or Cunningham? Just so this, like comparing pounds and dollars, it's just. It's, well, it's I was just... about to answer that then. Well, I was going to say I've never played with Kieran Cunningham, so okay. I can't. I'm John Spare off. Pounds, pounds and dollars. dollars. Well, what's got a better? Yeah, the, the dollar's pretty strong. Well, I think you could spend them both, and they're both nice to spend, <laughs> but they're different, aren't they? I just think they're different. I don't think. I think comparing. Those two is is difficult because they were so different players, both world class, unbelievable players. Nick Weston, remember Nick Weston? Yeah, yeah. Nick Weston says, uh, "Who, in your opinion, in brackets, don't want to risk Wilkins' ire again?" Remember you? He was the one that uh, disagreed with his opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Is the best James Bond, and which is your favourite Bond girl? Connery, brackets Craig is close second, and Stacey Sutton. In a view to kill for me, mm-hmm. I'd go Connery, and then in the last James Bond film, there was uh, in Rome. He had a bit of a romance with an older Monica Bellucci, I think it was. Monica Lewinsky. No, I, would say <laughs> Monica Lewinsky. I did not have sexual relations <laughs> with that woman. She was yeah, tasty. What's happened to Monica Lewinsky? Uh, she's probably doing the circuit. She does after dinner speaking. She's got a very large uh, plinth that she hides behind. She makes handbags. She makes, she makes handbags. handbags. We've been afforded by our uh, studio. Monica Lewinsky makes handbags. Yeah. In Cheatham Hill. In Cheatham <laughs> Hill. <with> Sharon Stone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was so? Uh, Daniel Craig is yeah. the best Bond. Is he? Yes, I believe so. I can't remember now. And one. Grace Jones is. Uh, she's not technically a Bond girl, but Grace Jones. Grace Jones. Um, Kieran says. Which has had the bigger impact on Saints? The signing of Jamie Lyon or Ben Barber? To be discovered. To be decided? To ben be decided. or that's Brent what, that's Barber. What the D sounds for, is that what D? I didn't really discovered. know. You know, with TBD. To be, it's not dis- to be confirmed, is it? Decided. To, to be TBC. Decided. Yeah, but you have TBD or TBC. To be decided, to be confirmed. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Someone picked up a harrow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's such a wanker. <laughs> You've uh, mentioned Harrow Fultz weeks consecutively <laughs> now. Someone actually, in fact, didn't we famous go to Harrow? Well, someone did tweet in about Harrow this week. I can't find it. Yeah, about playing down there or something. There, was, horrend- there was horrendous grammar, and he looked. It was yeah. a, it was a toffee, floppy-haired <laughs> southerner uh, who's spending his trust fund. Uh, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it. This is, this says, is great. For, yeah, great pod for us. Yeah, well, great. Pod, let's film, says. Mark. Oh, here he goes. Terrible English in my question to Whippets last week. Says Nick Weston. Apologies. Nigel from Daily Mirror once led me the wrong way from the station across the fields to watch Brisbane Broncos train at Harrow School. Got to meet Wayne Bennett though, so all good. 
That was worth getting out, wasn't it? Oh, God. Last question of the week. Don't subscribe. If anybody can, if you can unsubscribe, please do it now. How much planning goes into covering different potential in-game injuries? Do you know beforehand who goes to full, back, standoff, etc.? if you get the bench or forwards. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lottery. <laughs> yeah, we just go, where are you going on? <laughs> oh, he's going on at full back. Mark's in the grand final. I'll go, I'll go half back. It's all good. I was already named though. So you don't. Mark, had, Mark had played six, seven weeks leading up to the grand final. Yeah, he kicked nice. Castleford to death, actually, that's, in the semi-finals. That's, that's just what they said, apparently. <laughs> Daryl Powell said, he never knew Mark Flanagan had a right foot, but now he does. What's going in the rugby league Simbin this week? Go on, we Mark. both look at each other every week. You're supposed to. All you, all you do is think about it. It's just once. So big men. I'm putting big men. I think we're Big Ben, the clock. Big the rugby league players. Okay. Over, I'm going to put the. In fact, I'm going to put the impact player in the bin. Right. So the Paliasinas, the. Mossy Masson. Mossy. Well, no, he's, 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 Mossy's not like that, actually, now, is he? He plays good minutes. The, the genuine impact player. Was well, Al one of them? No, because he can play minutes. That's not, not what you say. Often. Barry Ward played for St. Helens in 2002-03 and he did a six-minute stint against Wigan and then Which Kate caused chaos, I think. He did. He was a chud. <laughs> What's going in your I'd put unnecessary... Old, old Crabtree's hair? No, unnecessary... Nigel Wood's trousers. Are you just going to interrupt me all the way through? I'm no. not going to answer because... No, go on. Oh, come on, Matt. No, no, don't no, be no, like no, that. No, 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 no you've done so well it. today. We we you've had such a good attitude towards things. We'll always listen to John, but when I speak, he's just kind of like... We want to hear it. Go on. Go on. You're going to interrupt me again, Unnecessary horse of podcasts. Unnecessary. Camouflage baseball caps on. Unnecessary. That's well, you're not needed. Unnecessary. <laughs> We're probably better without you, mate. Oh, gosh. That's just a lovely insult. Un- you're completely, well, unnecessary. You're unnecessary, mate. Um, that's it for this week. Download the podcast from iTunes, Podbean, your podcast provider. Do you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put it out there and chat. And if he doesn't come on, then we're then we've we've called him out. Michael Vaughan, former England cricket captain, is coming on next week. How about that? Vaughan, bloody good, that? bloody yeah. good bloke. As he replied Johnny, to Johnny said 15. Johnny Vegas the week after as well. Oh, Michael Vaughan and Johnny Vegas in the two weeks to come. Follow us on Twitter at Whippets RL. See you later. Bye bye. Bye bye.